When I was in college, there was another student with a car I really liked uh, and actually kind of envied. It was a Pontiac Grand Prix GTP. The GTP was a supercharged model, and instead of the regular 195 horsepower, the supercharger brought it up to 240 horsepower, which isn't a ton, but still uh, made it a lot faster and a lot more fun to drive. Well, 10 years later, my dream came true. I became the proud owner of a 1997 Pontiac Grand Prix GTP complete with supercharger. Man, I loved that car. It was it was fun to drive. And uh and and as much as I enjoyed having it and it was fun to drive, it did have some issues. Um one issue was that the driver's side window just stopped working, wouldn't roll down. And that wouldn't have been that big of a deal, except for the fact that it stopped working at the same time as the air conditioning. And so I spent quite a bit of time driving around the south, hot, south, hot South Florida, um, in the south, hot South Florida sun, um, sweating because I couldn't roll down the window and I had no air conditioning. It also had an issue with the gas gauge. The gas gauge, once you got below a quarter of a tank didn't tell you how much gas was actually left in 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 the tank. And there were several times where I ran out of gas and Laura had to meet me and on the side of the road with a gas tank, you know, with a gallon or two of gas in it so that I could get to the gas station. One time I pulled into the parking lot of my office and turned the car off and I knew I was low on gas but I didn't know how low until I got back in the car later that later that uh, that day and I went to start the car and nothing happened and I realized that I just barely made it into the parking lot and I was totally out of gas and I had uh, two friends who worked with me uh, push me a few blocks down the road to the Chevron station well I think this is an illustration of uh, the the way that love works in our relationships We've been talking about Jesus's command to love the Lord and to love our neighbor. And we've talked about how loving our neighbor uh, most often starts at home with, you know, with the person in the bed next to us or in the rooms next to us. Uh, Last week, we talked about the way of love and we talked about loving the Lord and, and how we need to hear from him and his love for us before we can love him. And, and all those messages are on our website at crossunited.org if you're interested. And I think the way of love, love is like an engine in our relationships. And if the engine of healthy relationships is love, then then I think in the world we live in and because of our sin, that if love is the engine of our relationships, that the fuel that fuels the engine is forgiveness. Love without forgiveness is love without power. It's like a a supercharged engine. It doesn't matter how powerful it is. If it doesn't have gas, it's not going to go anywhere. Love without forgiveness is like an engine without fuel. And I think the most important thing you can do in your life and in your relationship with God and your relationships with people is to begin to walk in the way of forgiveness. This is, there, there are many verses, there are tons of verses in the Bible about forgiveness. Let me just read a few. Colossians 3.13, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. 
That was Colossians 3, um, 13. Um, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes and back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That's Luke 17, 3 and 4. Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will forgive you. Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. How Jesus taught us to pray. Peter uh, comes up to Jesus, this is in Matthew 18, 21 and 22, and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, Jesus replied, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Forgiveness is an essential part of life. It's the gas in the engine of our relationships, both in our relationship with God and in our relationships with the people who matter most in our lives, our marriages, our families, and our friendships. We're going to look uh, at four aspects of forgiveness this morning. Number one, the need for forgiveness. The need for forgiveness. We need forgiveness more than anything else in life. More than physical health, more than physical provision, we need forgiveness. Forgiveness is usually not our most obvious need, but it is our most pressing need. There's a story early in the ministry of Jesus that shows this. Um, The words starting to get out about Jesus and his power and his ability to heal and and. There's a bunch of people gathered together in in a house, so much so that there was no more room, Mark chapter 2, and maybe you've heard this story, that they couldn't even get in the door. And so there's these four friends who carry their paralyzed friend up onto the roof, dig a hole in the roof, and lower him down to Jesus. Notice, though, what Jesus says in Mark 2, verse 5. He sees their faith and says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Here, Jesus has the power to heal this paralyzed man, to give him the ability to walk, and and to address what was clearly and obviously his his most obvious need. So obvious. His friends have to carry him to Jesus. But Jesus sees that this man's most pressing need is not the same as his most obvious need. His most obvious need is that he's physically disabled. He's paralyzed. But his most pressing need is that he needs to have his sins forgiven. The most pressing need that you have is the forgiveness of your sins. A sin is anything in your life that fails to conform to God's commands and character. It's failing to align with the purpose God gave you when he created you. You need forgiveness from God because you've sinned against God. God designed you to love him and love other people, and you have failed to do that. You might say, well, I know I haven't done it perfectly, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Nobody's perfect. Well, I get that because sometimes it seems like maybe our sin and just a little bit of, of like mistakes or whatever it may be, may seem like it's not that 
big a deal. Let me let me see if I can illustrate this. When Laura and I got married, she wore this beautiful pearl white wedding dress. Imagine if on the day of our wedding, she goes to take her uh, wedding the, the wedding dress out of the, the the wedding dress bag and she finds this quarter inch size black spot right on the front. And and we're, we're just like an obvious spot where everyone's going to see it. And imagine one of her bridesmaids says, you know, I bet there are dozens of yards of fabric in this dress. And I bet if we measured it, I bet if you really calculated it out, that this dress is like 99% plus stain free. Well, you know what the reaction's going to be there. It's going to be that that is not good enough. 99.9% is not good enough when there's a stain right in the front that everyone's going to be able to see. That's good. It, it, even that small spot ruins that dress. Now take it a step further and, and imagine somebody had intentionally stained that dress out of anger or jealousy or bitterness. Even if your sin were only a tiny spot in an otherwise perfect life, it's not going to be good enough. But the truth is, it's a lot worse than that. The truth is, it's a lot like Cinderella. There was a time when Adeline, who um, turns eight years old today, um, was really into the movie Cinderella. And there's a part in Cinderella where her Cinderella's animal friends make her a dress for the ball with the prince. And she wears it, Cinderella wears it downstairs. And her wicked stepsisters see the dress. And they, they see that some of it is made of scraps of clothing that they didn't even want anymore. But they say, hey, that's my, that's my ribbon, that's my sash. And they rip the dress to shreds out of malice and hatred. Well, this is a lot more like what we have done with our sin. We have wickedly destroyed the good design of God for our lives and our relationships. We can't fix it. And we can't fix it. We have a debt. We cannot pay, and we need forgiveness from God. We also need forgiveness from other people. We've sinned against other people, especially the people we love the most. We've said terrible things, and we can't take them back. We've done treacherous things. We've betrayed our beloved ones. Before you can have a healthy marriage or a, a, you know, a healthy and happy family, before you can have good friendships, you have to be able to recognize. You have to be willing to admit that you need forgiveness. You need forgiveness for big things, big sins against the people you love. And you need forgiveness for everyday sins against the people you love. The first step for fueling the engine of love in your relationships is to recognize that you need forgiveness. And until you re recognize this, you, your relationships, they, they will stall out. It'll be like a, an engine running out of gas and leaving you stranded on the side of the road, vulnerable and alone. You also need to be able to grant forgiveness. Harboring unforgiveness in your heart is poison for your soul. There's a cliche that says that bitterness, holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping and waiting for the other person to die. When you refuse to forgive, you are damaging yourself and your life. You need forgiveness from God and from the people in your life. But, but I just want to address quickly 
and briefly a myth that we sometimes hear, and that is the idea that we have to forgive ourselves. Some of you might think that forgiving yourself is an important part of a healthy life, but this actually, that's actually not true. We need forgiveness from God and we need forgiveness from other people. But when someone says that they're having trouble forgiving themselves, usually it means they're feeling guilty or ashamed of what they've done. In reality, what they're doing is they're either feeling rightful guilt and shame because they have not yet been forgiven by God and they've not yet accepted his forgiveness for them in Christ, or they have accepted his forgiveness for them, but they are putting themselves in his place and saying that his word over them is not sufficient. You need forgiveness from God and from other people, but you do not need to forgive yourself. What you do need is to accept the forgiveness that God provides for you. And this becomes easier when you understand the second part of forgiveness. Number two, the cost of forgiveness. Forgiveness cost God. You know, you can determine the severity of a fire by the response of the fire department. So in March, some of you may have seen this, there was a uh, massive fire at a high-rise building in Pompano on the beach. And there were hundreds of firefighters and probably almost two dozen fire trucks. And my brother-in-law is a Pompano fire uh, fighter, and he said that, that there were probably 20 or more trucks on the scene. And, and from multiple cities, they're calling in backup because this is a massive fire that they're having to fight. How do you know your sin is a big deal and that forgiveness cost God? Because of the, what he had to pay to provide forgiveness for you. He had to send his only begotten son to leave his throne in heaven and die for your sins. Our sin is a big deal. And if God knew that the way to forgive us would take such an enormous cost, we have no right to treat our sin lightly or to measure the cost of forgiveness flippantly. Forgiveness costs God, but forgiveness also costs us. It's going to cost you something to forgive that person you love. If it's an epic betrayal that that has changed the trajectory of your life, that is, that's going to cost you to forgive. In little things, it's going to cost you. And it's going to cost you your perceived right to be right. And maybe you are right. It's going to cost you the ability to manipulate and leverage your victimhood against the other person. Read earlier that Peter approaches, how many times shall I forgive? Seven times. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And then he tells this parable. It's, it's about a man with an extraordinary debt. It says the man owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, I know that you all aren't, you know, measuring your net worth in talents. You know, that's, it's, a, it's an ancient way of measuring wealth. Well, a talent was worth about 20 years. Maybe you have a footnote in your Bible that shows this. A, a talent was worth about 20 years wages for a worker. 20 years wages in today's dollars times 10,000 20 years wages is one talent, and this is 10,000 talents, would be like 150 or $200 billion, more than any single person, including Jeff Bezos with his $164 billion personal net worth valuation, would be able to pay. This is an, un- the, the point Jesus is making is this is an unpayable debt, a debt that no person would ever be able to pay. 
This is the size of our debt against God, in other words. And the man can't pay. He's never going to be able to pay. And the, the, he, he just falls on his, he just begs, please just forgive me this debt. And the king takes mercy on him and forgives him the debt. The king takes the loss himself. The king absorbs the loss that this man owed him. This man goes out and finds another man, another person who owes him, him some money. And it says he owed him a hundred denarii. Well, a denarii is probably not uh, how you're, you're spending money either. Maybe you have a footnote in your Bible. Um, it, a, a denarius was about one day's wages. So this was not a small amount. Um, if it's a hundred denarii, one day's wages, maybe we're talking like, 20, 30, $40,000, you know, I don't know how much everyone in here is making per year, but, but this is what we're, this is not like, Hey buddy. Hey man, could you spot me 10 bucks? This is a big debt. Now it's nothing compared to what this man's been forgiven. 30 grand seems like nothing when you've been forgiven 200 billion but he goes to this guy and he demands that he pays him back. And when he won't pay him back, he has him thrown in debtor's prison. And people are distressed because they know this guy's story. This, is, this guy's been forgiven this huge debt. And, and so they tell the king and they, they tell the king that this guy has, has demanded that this debt get paid back. And, and this is what the, the, the king says, the master says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And he, because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father, Jesus says, will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. The reality is, if someone sinned against you, that person does. They have a debt that they owe. But it's nothing compared to the debt that you have owed to God. If God has forgiven you, then what the other person, what you have to forgive the other person is negligible. You're you're still a net if if you've been forgiven two hundred billion and someone you forgive someone else you take a loss of thirty thousand you're still one hundred ninety nine billion plus to the good. The cost of forgiveness number three, this and th this leads to the power number three the power of forgiveness, and we're going to look at what forgiveness does, what forgiveness can do, and what forgiveness does not do. What forgiveness does in our relationship with God is it, it, it sets us free. Colossians two says that God took the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. There's no, the only power that Satan has over you is the threat of punishment because of your sin. And if God has removed the debt of sin that you owe to him, then there's nothing more that Satan can hold over your head. The only power that sin has is the debt that it, accru it, 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 it accrues against 
God. And if God has forgiven the debt, there's no power of Satan, there's no power of sin, and you are completely free. In our relationship with others, forgiveness releases the rights we have over someone because of what they owe us. When we forgive, we set that person free. So obviously, if you borrow $10 from someone and and say, hey, I'm going to pay you back, they say, I don't worry about it. That $10 loan or debt becomes a gift. It's a $10 gift. And that's nice. Great. Praise God. But, and, and and this principle is true whether it's a $10 gift or whether it's a $10,000 gift. Whether it's that your husband has been a little harsh with you in his words or has committed adultery against you, a $10 sin versus a $10,000 sin, you know, just, you know, the point is either way, it's going to take generosity. It's going to take giving for you to forgive. Now, obviously, most of us can spot someone 10 bucks without much issue. 10,000, that's that's another story. That's like, that might change the trajectory of your life depending on where you are financially. Forgiving a $10,000 debt, that giving someone $10,000, that's big time. And some of those, sometimes when we forgive, it costs us a lot. Sometimes it, it, it might cost us not as much, but either way, we're giving. We're, 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 we're generously giving. And one of the things I think that we talked about last week that you can implement immediately to bring health into your relationship. You're never going to have a perfect relationship. You're never going to have a perfect relationship where you don't fight you, you, you never sin against the other person. But what you can have is a relationship where you're free from the power of your sin because you ask for and grant forgiveness consistently. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? What forgiveness can do in our relationship with God is it, it reconciles us back to God because he no longer has uh, a debt of sin that he holds against us, he, he, he can bring us back to himself in relationship. And this is what forgiveness can do in our relationships with other people. It can bring reconciliation. The most soured and fractured relationships can be healed. I have friends, uh, a pastor friend of mine, who got divorced and then remarried to his wife. Because that's the power of God in forgiveness and reconciliation. Some of you have been hurt in small ways. Maybe you're kind of like had a little fight with your spouse and you're still a little irritated with them this morning. Or maybe you've been like epically betrayed. Forgiveness is the first step to healing. What forgiveness does not do Forgiveness doesn't remove the requirement to repent, to turn away from your sin in heart and mind and behavior. Forgiveness doesn't remove the temporal consequences of your sin. Forgiveness does not immediately restore trust. It doesn't heal the person that you hurt. It doesn't, you know, I was, I was talking with my dad and I had a friend and, uh, called me and he had some news that I wasn't very happy with. And, I didn't take it very well, and um, 
I thought I'd handled myself well, but I got off the phone. My dad said, whoa, weren't too happy about that, were you? I said, oh, was it that obvious? He said, yeah, it really was that obvious. And he told me, he said, you know, I've learned that asking for forgiveness is good, but not having to ask for forgiveness is better. Because saying you're sorry doesn't magically remove the pain of what you did wrong in the first place. Uh, forgiveness doesn't ignore a pattern of wickedness. Um, it doesn't put you, it doesn't demand that you put yourself in an unsafe situation with a person who is going to hurt you, who has not repented. Forgiveness um, doesn't magically heal, but it is the first step toward healing. That's the power of forgiveness. And then finally, number four, the practice of forgiveness. Throughout the scripture, there's this phrase called repentance. It says repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 24, 47 and other places. Repentance, it's not a hollow apology, not just words. Like I said, it is a change of thought pattern, a change of action, a change of disposition towards your sin. Not like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. Not just saying it so the other person won't be irritated anymore, but to genuinely intend that this is not okay and I want it to change. To confess your sin and repent to God. To confess your sin and repent to others. To repent. To turn. There's a, a man named Kim Shin Jo. Um, he's a, a, a man who was trained as an assassin in the North Korean army. And, um, many years ago, he and 30s, 30 other people, uh, snuck into South Korea from North Korea. And his mission was to assassinate the president of North Korea. He said, that he came to cut the throat of the North, South Korean president. Um, he said, our mission was to remove what we had been taught was a puppet government in South Korea. And so I had come into the country with a mission to assassinate the president. Well, they got caught and there was a firefight in a, uh, most of the, Many in, involved were killed, except for Kim Shinjo and one other guy. And Kim Shinjo was captured, and he he was interrogated for months while while he was captive, and he was befriended by by a general in the South Korean army. And and this general formed sort a sort of friendship with Kim Shinjo, and eventually got through to him and forgave him. He said, I tried to kill the president and I was the enemy, but the South Korean people showed me sympathy and forgiveness. I was touched and moved. And today, and then that man, Kim Shin Jo, became a pastor in South Korea. He says, on that day, Kim Shin Jo died. I was reborn. And I got my second life. 
What could putting the fuel of forgiveness into the engine of love do in your life and in your relationships? On, on your seat, there's a card. And uh, hopefully you've already had a chance to fill out some of your information, however much you feel comfortable uh, filling out. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to what God has been speaking in this message. And there are three ways to respond. The first, to, to just acknowledge that you need to ask God for forgiveness and that you have sinned against God and that you need to, you need to confess your sin, repent, and ask forgiveness. And, and maybe that's something you need to do um, and you've done before, or maybe you've never done that before. The second thing is maybe you need to ask a specific person for forgiveness. There's there, um, I will ask blank for forgiveness. And then third, maybe you need to grant forgiveness. I will grant forgiveness. I will forgive blank. How, how is God calling you to respond? and walk in the way of forgiveness. Let's pray.